Welcome to Teaching with the Body and Mind, a podcast about the importance of children moving for learning. Your hosts, Tom, Mike, Ross, and Joey. Hello, welcome to Teaching with the Body and Mind. I'm Mike Huber, and I've got my three co-hosts with me, so hello, Joey. Hello. And Ross. Hi, Mike. And Tom. Hi, Mike. All right, so today's episode, I was going to talk about how I came to this group. And I guess for me, I think back when I started teaching, and I was a fairly, I don't know if traditional is the right word, a teacher that kind of believed, oh yeah, you don't have kids run in the room, you don't have them throw things, and you, know, you certainly don't have them pretend to use weapons. Those were just three, I just assumed that's what everyone did, and there was a reason for it. And I guess safety ultimately was what I had in mind. Um, so I worked at this center that had predominantly mostly Ojibwe, but Native Americans, probably about a third of the students. And there were no white kids at all. And then about half the teachers were white. And we definitely had in mind that we were trying to teach kids to, I don't know what the word would be, overcome racism or things like that. And Anti-bias? Anti-bias. Yeah, that's a better word. <laughs> so an anti-bias curriculum. And one of the things we did is, you know, if kids pretended to shoot, we'd say, oh, remember, we don't use guns at school. But one day I had these three Ojibwe kids kind of sneaking with uh, the long blocks, the long rectangles, you know, like holding them like rifles. And I walk over to them and I'm going to do that usual spiel, you know, so I go, hey, you guys, remember. And they just turn to me and say, shh, we're hunting. And in my head, I'm thinking, I don't know much about Ojibwe culture. I do know that hunting's important. I do know that most of them have either gone hunting with their dads or are looking forward to doing that when they're old enough. And I knew that for sure that as this white guy, it seems really weird to tell them, no, you can't hunt. Mm -hmm. So it just felt like if I really was going to be following anti-bias, I would allow them to do this. I was also new in my, you know, new as a teacher and didn't really feel like standing up to anyone about this or questioning it. So instead, I just made sure the door was shut. And just from then on, I didn't say anything when kids would pretend to play with guns, unless, you know, my supervisor or like another teacher was in the room visiting, then I would do the, oh, remember, we don't use guns. And it, it felt a little fake, but, you know, I just didn't have the, the confidence to sort of bring that up. I figured, you know, other people must know more than me. But then slowly I started to learn there's other people that feel the same way. Um, Mr. Rogers was the first one I heard about. Mm -hmm. um, so I read the books by Diane Levin and Nancy Carlson Page and discovered there's actually a good reason to allow this type of play. Because if you just allow it, but don't say anything about it, you're not really bringing back that reflective practice. But to have kids play out these ideas and then be reflective about it, it allows you to have those conversations. And I think that's what we do with all aspects of play, whether yeah. children are playing in the in the dramatic play area in the home, or they're at the water table washing babies, it's they're making sense of what they know and that we're, we're very comfortable with that, but when guns come in, it makes us very nervous, but they're so pervasive in culture. And in this case, this was a part of who well, it's they a part were. of Minnesota culture. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, right. And, I, and I'm not from you know, Minnesota, so that right. yeah, definitely exactly. foreign exactly. culture for me. <laughs> you, you're, you're learning the ways, but I think that's where, and a lot of teachers struggle with that, but I think there's that with Native cultures, but also now with the growing populations of military families yeah, or families in law, law enforcement where, well, my grown-up carries a gun 
at their job, does that make them a bad person? Well, just good old-fashioned Star Wars play. I mean, it's also, you know, it's not always real life. It's also fantasy play. Yeah. You know, we're much more comfortable with a magic wand that could possibly kill someone. Right, right. I mean, but go on. Yeah, no, that's true. And in fact, I remember having one family who, when I did start allowing it, so this is jumping ahead because I can't talk in a straight line. (laughs) I had a family who, you know, they talked to me about this idea of allowing gunplay so that you can talk to your kid about ideas that come up in play or whatever. And they said, well, yeah, that yeah, that sounds good. I'm glad you do that at school. At home, we're not comfortable. And I said, that's fine. They said, yeah, what we have her do is she just, she has this wand and it, it can just make bad guys disappear. And in my head, I'm thinking, wow, like having a weapon that could just make things disappear actually sounds a lot scarier yeah. than getting shot where at least you have a fighting chance to survive. And, <laughs> and you know, I mean, it, yeah. it was just interesting to me that that one was okay. Yeah. The idea of just totally eviscerating. Yeah. Molecular eradication is totally fine. However, yeah, and, and I know it's because it doesn't relate to real life, right? Yeah. Like that's the main. And there's no blood. And there's no blood, right? Yeah. But it, it just was—it's kind of funny to me when you actually look at it. If you're talking about empathy and things like that, that's really not the way. To well, and I don't want to it. go too far off, but it makes me also think when child children are carrying the rifles, the blocks, and they're shooting. That's a gun, can't use it. No, it's a poofer, and it shoots clouds. Oh, okay, that's fine. Right. Or the firefighters, fire hoses. Right. Same position, right. same movements. Right. right. You know, and then we, again, we, we, how we allow it in some ways, but not in others. I think it's right. just it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, and it's, yeah, it is really interesting. And Nancy Carlson Page and Diane Levin refer to that as guerrilla war play. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because it's that thing of like, oh, as long as the teacher's not there. And again, then you take yourself out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I found that it's made it a lot easier to talk about these things with kids and to talk about how th- people feel when they get hurt. I mean, I think of one time I had these kids who loved Star Wars, but what they wanted to, wanted to do was act out the the battle scene between Luke and Darth, um, Darth Vader. Yeah, where the hand gets cut off. Yes, yeah. where the hand gets cut off, exactly. And they just loved taking turns being Darth Vader, of course, right? Mm-hmm. And to be the one who's, um, you know, gets the dramatic death you know, it's just that thing of like, one, they were taking turns doing this, right? Where they do it, like, okay, now it's your turn. <laughs> or, yep. no, it's more like, no, now it's my turn to be the one who gets to die. You know, yeah. and, and there's something about that. They're taking turns. They're not hurting each other at all. And they have to be really careful because they're actually swinging. I don't remember what they were using. Um, rolled up paper, probably, as the, the mm-hmm. lightsabers. But, you know, so there's this idea of like how careful they're being, how empathetic they're being, how respectful of each other they're being. And yet some people would shut it down because they don't want kids to learn to use violence. You know, so I just find that interesting the way that changes. So for me, that was my first step towards this idea of maybe I should listen to the kids closer and see what they're doing with it. But then in doing that, of course, that type of play does involve a lot more running and jumping and, you know, rolling around and things like that. So suddenly the room was a little more physical and some people might say chaotic, but I found that when they're engaged in the game, it's not chaotic at all. They're very focused on what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I might need to help sometimes with them noticing other people around, but I found in general kids really notice those things themselves. I think it gets to that trust of space and yeah. awareness that we assume, and very young children, you know, that are just learning to walk in the toddler phase of the young threes, even where 
spatial awareness is growing but as you're getting into four and five you see those and they're really navigating and part of the game is how close can i get before we i remember so when i did that leap of allowing running in the room i remember one time this kid we got this new cape that had a red hood Uh Mm -hmm. you know so this one girl put it on this other kid's like i'm the big bad wolf and he starts running after her and they start running around the room and i don't have a very big classroom so, you know, there's people around playing, but what I noticed was, well, first I noticed my own reaction, right? Of I immediately wanted to go over and stop them. And I had to consciously tell myself, wait and watch what they do. Mm-hmm. And when I watched, I noticed that every time, like if someone walked maybe 10 feet in front of where they were running, they would already turn and go a different way. Like they didn't even come close to anybody. They yeah. kept switching. And if anything else changed in the room, they switched their path. And I watched them do this for about more than five minutes. I mean, it was quite a long time. And then finally, the the big bad wolf, he is just, you know, <sighs> <sighs> and he turns to me and says, will you read to me? Yeah. <laughs> and so I sit down in front of the bookshelf and he sits right in my lap. And he is not a kid who ever sat in my lap or leaned against me or, you know, wasn't like a, a physically affectionate kid. Mm-hmm. And, of course, picked up Little Red Riding Hood. That's what we read. But we read that, and I think we read it twice, with just him on my lap kind of leaning against me. And it was just that, like, that really showed me mm-hmm. how much this physical play actually helps me connect to the kids mm-hmm. and helps them express themselves, I guess. Mm-hmm. Did you notice when they were playing the game <clears throat> that they were negotiating as they played the game so it would keep going? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, you know, if she was going too fast... You know, she would notice soon and after and slow herself. down, yeah. handicap herself. Usually it was about, because it was kind of a circle, she'd cut over closer, right? So the circle was smaller for mm-hmm. a bit. Or if he was getting too close, he would like, we have a loft in my room, and he'd kind of grab the top of the loft and swing a little bit, you know, and have, I can't remember what he said was happening, you know. Right. Like, oh, I got caught in the branches yeah. or something, and then he'd <laughs> go. But yeah, they were definitely changing the game so that it just kept going. You know, it was only physical exhaustion finally that yeah and I think ended what, it. that what comes up though is that it's you know there'll be questions of people with people listening like well but you so we just let children run all the time and I think one you got to know your group and I think right. you were really but I think what was the key point of that is you really watched it and you could feel it come up and go I can stop it right now but I'm gonna let it go a little bit longer to see where this goes right. and then the end result being that you made a stronger connection with that one child. Right, yeah. And probably more of them because the right. trust is growing. Right, yeah. and checking your own reaction first. And it might be, oh, I know exactly where this is going and that's not right, safe. Right, right. I mean, you know, that's not, yeah, to your point, it's not, it's not every single time. But in this case... Yeah. I have this kid in my classroom right now that she's not the most physical kid at all. And there's other kids who run more than her, outside or inside. But lately she's been doing these sort of chase games. You know, usually it involves its family, but then the baby's running away. Or um, Pokemon's becoming big now too and so she's chasing this other pokemon or whatever but she's not very good at noticing what's around her and for her i think it's just because she hasn't had the experience of it i have to say oh before you run over there let's look to see if there's anybody else playing over there and she'll do that and then she'll kind of go mm-hmm. to a spot mm-hmm. that's you know not being used and pushing the chairs or well, whatever. like you were gonna tell us how you got in this group oh yeah so thank you um <laughs> So anyway, so I was involving rough play, and I actually was teaching other teachers about the gunplay part of it while I was sort of allowing more of this physical play. 
then I just and then people kept asking me, well, tell me more about the physical part of that. And I had my gut feeling or my experiences from my own classroom, but I knew I had to learn more. So I first went to a Michelle Tannock workshop, um, and she's a researcher from the University of Nevada that does research on rough and tumble play. That was it. I knew, like, I need to learn more about this. And then I saw her again, and then I guess I read Francis Carlson's book, and then kind of met her through the men in early childhood group, um, and I guess met Tom there too. And so then Tom and I decided to try to write a proposal for NACI. And we did, and it got rejected. But we had been talking, you know, about this topic, about rough and tumble play, about the need for kids to move, and decided to have this discussion group. So we kept the discussion group going on a monthly basis, now for three years. And after about two of those years, I started writing a book on the topic. And that's, so the book came out of that, of this group too. And now the podcast. And so we will continue. Yeah, we will continue. Mm -hmm. I have not run out of topics and nobody else here has. So Mm -hmm. we will all be back next week and we'll hear from Ross next. All right. So thanks for listening to Teaching with the Body and Mind. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for listening to Teaching with the Body and Mind. We'll be back next week with another episode. Music is by Big Wheel Popcorn.